Today, for the first time, and uh, I know in my preaching, I'm going to try to do an entire book of the Bible. We're going to go through an entire book of the Bible. So I'm sure to mess it up. So you're going to give a lot of grace, and we're going to, but we're going to look to God's word to find um, the joy and the cheer and the rest that our hearts need. And so my prayer is that your hearts would be open to receive what God would have for us and that they would overflow. When I was, uh, when I was a little guy, my mother would go outside and oh, my mother is a, has paranoia schizophrenia. She's also manic depressive. You can imagine what that combination does in a woman's uh, life. She had no help. She was, it just, everything was turned against her. She had a husband who cheated on her and eventually left the family, who lied about the wages that he made so that he only paid $35 a month in, uh, in uh, child support. My mother, as her mind was leaving her, she would go outside to the corner and start screaming and yelling because you just can imagine all the things that were bottled up inside of her. But I remember as a little guy, I would look out the window in horror as the, you know, the crazy woman on your block? That was my mom. And I remember I would run downstairs. Sometimes she would sing really loud. She would just start singing, like, just songs, the songs that she would invent. She would just start singing songs. And I would run to the corner, and I would go, Mama, Mama, come, 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 sing at home, sing at home. Come with me, sing at home. But she just had a lot. The suffering that she went through was intense. She had suffering growing up. Her mother was probably... Uh, uh, What's that personality disorder? Um, borderline, her mother was probably borderline personality disorder and just a mean-spirited woman, even in her old age. You know how like some people get like a little kinder in their old age? I didn't meet her, that lady much, and I'm kind of glad. She was a rough lady to be around. And, um, and my mother suffered all throughout her life. She still suffers today. She's in a psych ward now. And there's nothing I could do about that. I'm sure. And um, I grew up, though, thinking to myself, why does this have to happen to us? Why are we like the people that everybody talks about? Why is my mom? My mom would literally go out, and we wouldn't know if she would come home. They would pick her up on the street, take her, and for like nine months, we would like not have any food in the house. Like, you know, it was just crazy. And nobody cared. Nobody came around and uh, looked after us. It was just a real tough go at it. We grew up in what you would today call like a crack house. It, we had a hole in the window. You could see your breath. Like right now, our boiler broke down. And my wife is like, you know, in our house, our boiler broke down. And my wife is like, listen, I'm going to call. Uh, I'm going to call 311 on our landlord. And I'm like the landlord. And so that's not a good deal. And so that's pretty bad. So by the way, if you're a plumber, I could use your help. Please help me. Um, but uh, yeah, our boiler broke down. But it's not like real cold in our house. Like it's, I mean, my wife would differ. But she would, she would, 
you know, it, it, we would see our breath. We would see our breath. Like when you talked, it was freezing. We would go to sleep in our coats and our boots and our shoes and our socks. It was, it was a real tough go. It was a real tough go. But I remember thinking to myself, there's no point in all this suffering. It's just God has abandoned us. If there is a God, he wants nothing to do with us. The pain and the embarrassment and the shame that was associated was too much. Now, I could talk more about that, but I bet, I bet if I took that microphone and passed it around to the person sitting in your seat, you'd be able to share your pain and your suffering. You'd be able to share the losses that you've had and the pain that you've suffered. The heartache. For some of you, you grew up in a very scary environment. For some of you, you grew up in an environment where, where there was physical abuse and verbal abuse and sexual abuse. For some of you, you just grew up with the kind of suffering that you, you don't even have words for. And you thought, God has abandoned me. God is not for me. If there is a God, he's not trying to help out our household. All of us go through that. Maybe right now you're in a time, a season of suffering, a season of difficulty. It's Christmas for everybody else, but for you, the season is suffering. And you go, I don't know why God allows this. And that's the, that's the big deal when we suffer, right? The big question that we ask when we suffer is why? Why? Now, I don't know if we're able to answer that question fully, but I want to give you an answer today that might be able to speak to your suffering, speak to your pain. All of us are going to experience suffering. If you're not suffering right now, you have gone through suffering or you will go through suffering. And so we need the lesson that we're going to learn today. Because if not, your, your marriage won't survive. Because marriage is filled with suffering. Your relationship with your children won't survive. Because raising your children is filled with suffering. Your recovery or sobriety won't survive. Because your recovery and sobriety is filled with suffering. Don't you see? Life is full of suffering. And if you love Jesus and are obedient to Jesus and pursue Jesus, you will experience the kind of suffering that right now you cannot imagine. And if you hate Jesus and want nothing to do with him, number one, I'm really glad you're here. I want to share with you how Christians suffer. But if you, if you hate Jesus and want nothing to do with him, you too will go through suffering. So we all need this message. This is a Christmas message for all of us. Because we need to know how to endure difficult times. 
And so we're going to read the life of a woman, actually a group of people who are suffering. We're going to go to the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we find um, an incredible story. It's a good story. In fact, I encourage you to read the entire book of Ruth this week. It'll be, you'll be better for it. It's, it won't take you a half hour. It won't take you a half hour. It's just a small, small book, uh, about four chapters. And I'm just going to read a bit of it from the beginning and a bit of it from the end. And then I'm just going to try to give you the scope of it. Is that okay? But here's what we're going to learn, guys. We're going to learn that God is not silent during our suffering. We're going to learn that God, if there's any reason why you and I are suffering, if there's any reason why you and I are going through difficulty, it's not because God has turned a blind eye. It's not because God doesn't care. If there's any reason, it's not because of those. So we go into the story and I'm going to read you uh, a little bit from the first chapter and a little bit from the last chapter. Would you stand and read with me God's word? The reason we do that is because we just want to be reminded that we want to reverence not only who God is, but the words that he has beautifully given us. I'll read from Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 through 17, then I'll read from Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 18. Listen to me. We're all going to need to know how to get through suffering without abandoning God or abandoning ourselves. I mean, I mean, literally, people are going through suffering and the epidemic on, I mean, the opioid epidemic, which is one way that people escape, the pornography epidemic, which is another way people escape, the suicide epidemic. There's better ways to go through suffering. And so I want you to lean in because we're all going to need this. 8 to 17, we'll start with chapter 1. Then Naomi, Naomi said to her two, da- to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughter. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Let's pause right there. Have a seat. This is God's word. So, let me tell you the story. It's, it's tremendous. So there's a famine in Bethlehem. This famine is so severe that Naomi, that's the first two people. Let me tell you the story of what we just read. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they move to Moab. They move from the place that God had ordained for them to be, the place where God's blessing was, the place of his people, into this tribe of Moab. Now, the Moabite people do not have a good reputation with the, with the people from Bethlehem, with the Jewish people. They, in fact, it was a bad start to their whole clan. The Moabites came from an incestuous relationship between uh, Noah and his daughter. His daughter got Noah drunk, had sex with him, and the Moabites were born. So these are the enemies of the Jewish people. They think of them as second-class citizens. They're not welcome in Bethlehem. These are people who are foreign and maligned. They want nothing to do with them. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they go to Moab. And they have, they have their sons. They bring them with them. Their sons marry uh, wives. The, fa the father and husband, he dies on this trip. So she's in this foreign land, and she just lost her husband. Naomi does. Then both of her sons die. It doesn't tell us how. It doesn't tell us why. It just tells us that it does. And that's good because sometimes when tragedy strikes us, we don't know how or why it happens. When pain and suffering come into our lives, they usually don't come with a, uh, a predictor. Hey, by the way, tomorrow you're going to be in an accident that's going to hurt your back to the degree that you're going to feel that pain for the rest of your life. You don't get that message. Hey, hey, your marriage is going to go through the kind of suffering that the next few years are going to feel like a living nightmare. You don't get those kinds of awarenesses. You don't get those kinds of memos. Well, it happens for her. Her husband dies. And her sons die. Then there's this famine in Moab. The very thing that she was trying to avoid is the very thing that she started to experience in Moab. She then turns to her two daughter-in-laws and says, and, and we just read it, she goes, guys, go back. Go back. I can't help you. This is, she, it's really the most loving thing she could do. The most loving thing that she could do for these girls is to tell them to go back because they have no hope. These people are going to die. At least if they go back to their father's household, maybe the father can, the, their fathers could perhaps 
create an environment where they can get married again and then have children and then be taken care of. But Naomi, she recognized her life is over. There's no hope for her. The only thing that she could hope for is begging and death. Orpah, who both, uh, both daughters-in-law say to Ruth, no, 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 we want to stay with you. But then she convinces them, I got nothing for you. Even if I had a kid nine months from now, you wouldn't be able to wait for him. Go. Orpah leaves. Ruth says this beautiful passage, very famous passage. In fact, if you're going to get married and they've asked you to like, write your own vows, you could hardly write better vows than this. Ruth goes back and she says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Men, if you say that to your wife, you win for the rest of your life. That's a winner. Naomi's there, and she's urging her daughter to go. And Ruth, and by the way, I want you to see something. This is really powerful. This is not part of our big idea. But I want you to see the power of our friendship and love to convert the heart of those who don't believe in Jesus. This woman is a Moabite. She has her own gods. In fact, Naomi tells her, go back to your own gods. Go back to a land where you know. Go back to the things that you used to worship. And she turns around and says, no, 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 no. I want to have nothing to do. Your God will be... Naomi, um, Ruth realizes that Naomi has just been as loving. She's never seen love like this, where she's sacrificing herself. And she goes, no, in this moment, I want to receive your God as the God of my life. And that he may take care of us and watch over us. Let me just say this. It's Christmas time. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to share our faith. I know it's terrible. If you're, if you're not in Christ, what I'm saying right now is like the worst thing I could say in our society. You're like, you, you see, this is why I don't like Christians. You guys are always proselytizing. You guys are always trying to convert people. Leave people alone. And let me just pause for a second. And if I could just humbly just push back a little bit on you. And just say, listen, if that's what you believe, then you have a spiritual take on the way I should behave. And good news, I have a spiritual take on how we should interact as well. You're doing the same thing that you're accusing Christians of. Christians have a spiritual uh, a take on spirituality that we think we should share and that everybody should um, conform to. And you have, if you want no one, that's a spiritual take. Nobody should share their religion with anybody else. Well, that's a spiritual position to take, isn't it? And the position is nobody share their gods. And here's what you want to do. You want to convert me to that way of thinking. To which I go, okay, now that we're both on the same boat, 
I think I like my way better. And here's all I'm saying. If that's what you, if that's what you think, you're no better than me. You're angry with me for doing the same thing that you're doing. So, back to the story. Naomi gives such love that Ruth is converted by it. And do you know that you can do that as well in your life? That in your life, you could love people to the degree, and then, listen to me, we don't love people and then just don't, you know, we don't do it for goodness sake, right? We're not good for goodness sake. We're good for Christ's sake. We're good because he was good for us. And because he was good for us, he'll be good through us. And that if anybody, the Bible says, that if anybody receives a cup of water, that they can receive it in his name. And so that when you move people, if you help people move in this season, or if you, if you uh, break bread with somebody, and they go, why are you being kind to me? If you give food to a homeless person, do it in the name of Jesus. Let Jesus get the credit for the kindness that you're doing so that Jesus could be glorified even in their lives. So Ruth converts and she stays with Naomi and they come back. They come back to the town and in the town, they, as they come back, they go, the people are looking around, they go, is that Naomi? You know, a couple of gray hairs, a couple of wrinkles. You know, it's been a rough few years. They go, is that Naomi? Naomi means sweet. That's what it means. Naomi responds, and she goes, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Because God has made me bitter. She blames God just like we do when we suffer. She goes, that's what I love about the Bible. Let me tell you something. If, if you don't believe that, this is, that these are the words of God, right? Like if you don't believe this is a divine, um, that this has a divine authority, let me just say this is one of the reasons why I believe it. Because that's words that I would never have put on my character's lips if I was inventing a story to control everybody. She literally says, don't call me sweet, call me bitter. In fact, God, she blames God for this, God sent me away full and brought me back empty. Took me from sweet to bitter, took me from full to empty. She is bitter and broken. And we can understand that. We can understand that because we too know what it's like to go through a season where marriage is rough. We can know what it's like to go through a season where our singleness seems to be forever. We can, go, we can know what it's like to go through a season where the doctor's prognosis is never a good one. We go through seasons where our hearts are broken, our eyes are filled with tears, our souls are downcast, and we don't know how on earth we're going to get past this. We go, God, you brought me from sweet to bitter. You brought me from full to empty. I just I don't even know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with this. It just feels painful. And it's because at this point, Naomi didn't know the lesson that we're going to learn today. And here's today's lesson. By the way, 
If you have pen, pencil, or mascara, you want to write this down. Here's the big idea for today. This is the lesson that Naomi has to learn, and this is the lesson that we have to learn. That many times, God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. We're going to say that together three times because I want that to get in us, okay? Would you say that with me? Yes. Count of three. One, two, three. God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. Say it again. God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. One more time. God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. Now, I, 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 got, I didn't invent that line. I got it because uh, Chris who's the executive uh, assistant and office manager, he sent me a sermon by a guy by the name of David Platt, and that was his throwaway line. His sermon was far better than mine, um, the one that I'm giving you right now. And this was his throwaway line. I was like, that one's my keeper right there. So I thank David Platt for helping me write my sermon. But this is true. This is true. God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. Beloved, if you don't get that lesson, you'll fall, into the, you'll fall into the trap of thinking that God is against you when he's creating a surprising triumph. You'll fall into the trap of thinking that God wants nothing to do with you when he's fact, he's making a tapestry that's more beautiful than you can imagine. You, you'll fall into the trap of thinking that you are all alone and you are all that you've got when you don't understand that God is writing the narrative of your story with a beautiful ending. God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. But Naomi hasn't learned this lesson yet, but she will. And maybe you haven't learned the lesson yet. My prayer is that you do. So they, they go back to Bethlehem. Uh, the, 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 the community greets her. She says what we just said. And then, and then there's this guy that comes into the, to the narrative. His name is Boaz. Boaz. Boaz walks into the, uh, um, the situation. And, um, and Boaz has a field. And so Ruth goes out. They're, they're destitute. They have nothing. They're as poor as you can get. And so Ruth starts going out into fields, or she go, starts looking around and see, and listen to this. I love this, because the Bible actually says this, and I, and I tease my son with this. She, the Bible says this phrase, it just so happened. I love that phrase. It just so happened. I have discussions with my son, and, you know, he always wants to challenge me and stuff like that. And, she, and he goes, yeah, you know, Bob, but that's not like a miracle or anything like that. That's just, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. It was a dink, right? A little dink, A little, co wow, isn't that amazing? Just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. Have you ever had just a little coincidence? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that 50 million things had to come into play in order for that little kuinky dink to happen. It just so happened that she starts going to the field of Boaz. Now, Boaz, here's why that's so crazy. Out of all the people in Bethlehem, Boaz is a, a guy who could potentially be her kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. Not kinsman. Kinsman redeemer. So, say that with me. Kinsman redeemer. Yeah. So he, he's the only guy who could, at this point, there's a few others, but he's one of the few who could be her kinsman redeemer. You go, what's a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer is a person that if you, um, if your land got sold off, they wanna, God wanted to keep uh, the land in the families. So it was a way to purchase back. So let's say you made some horrible financial decisions. God's so merciful. Let's say you were a total knucklehead and you made some horrible financial decisions um, and you, you could you could purchase your land back if you had the resources. Well, Boaz was in the line of Elimelech. So he was a relative of Naomi's husband that died. And so she just happened to be in that guy's field. Do you feel me? God is writing a story that you can't imagine. And she didn't even know it. She didn't even know that God was working. When they didn't know that God was working on their behalf, God was writing this beautiful story. Beautiful story. She goes, and it's Boaz, and he's, now, if you want to be the kinsman redeemer, you have to, you, number one, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to be a kinsman redeemer. Then you have to have the finances, because you actually have to purchase the, the property back. And then, um, so you have to be uh, willing and you have to have the resources. You have to be willing and have the resources. This guy, he comes into her, she comes into his land. She starts gleaning. He sees her and he says, who is that? He goes, who is that? She's, she's captivated his eye. And the, and loosely translated from the original hero, uh, Hebrew, it's like, uh, the, the phrase, who is that, is check her out. <laughs> Loosely translated. He's like, wow, who's that? Now, here's the thing. She's a Moabite, and she's a widow. She is the most vulnerable woman in this society. She goes into anybody's fields. You know what happens, right? Servants could beat her and tell her to get out of the field, or worse. Like, way worse. There was no one to protect her. She just so happened to go into Boaz's field. Boaz just so happened to be there. His just so happened that of all the people in his field, his eye laid on the woman who uh, was Ruth. Unbelievable. God made this whole thing happen. So... He finds out about her, that she was trying to take care of Naomi and all that other stuff. So he invites her in and he tells her, he tells the group of people, he goes, guys, here's what I want you to do. I, number one, I order you, keep her safe. Don't just not hurt her, protect her. Number two, 
I want you to drop some grain. That when, when you're picking grain, just, just leave some grain. Let her pick. Don't, 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 be, don't pick too much grain. And so he's providing for her and loving her. Then uh, Boaz invites her to a feast. He goes, hey, listen, I've heard of what you've been doing for your mother-in-law. I want you to eat with me. So they got, they got this wonderful feast that he invites her to. He invites her to sit with him, to dip her bread in the wine vinegar. This is the good stuff. This is like the gravy, right? Like, you know, dip your bread in the gravy of the food. It's just like that good. And so he's, she's doing that, and he's providing for her. And so Ruth goes back with this massive pile of food back to her, her mother-in-law. And she goes, Mama, 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 you wouldn't believe what happened. And Naomi is just like bitter. Isn't that right? It's, it's terrible when you have a love story and then you have like a bitter uh, mother-in-law. That's like a rough one, right? And so there's this love story that God is doing, but, you know, he throws in a bitter mother-in-law because everybody needs a, a difficult moment. And so she goes, so she's there just sort of stewing and how bad God has been to her. And she goes, you know who Boaz is, and she just explains what I just explained to you about him being the kinsman redeemer. And then she does what every good mother-in-law will do in a moment like that. She starts scheming. <laughs> it's true. It's very shady. It's very shady. That part you could skip. It's like, it's there. It's all there. It's like, you think soap operas are bad? This is bad. And so she goes, hey, here's what you're going to do. I want you to wear the short dress that you wore to the club. And it's bad. It's bad. And so, so she goes, so she goes, she gives her instruction. She gives her instruction. And so uh, Ruth goes back to, um, she goes back to, uh, 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 to Boaz and what she does is this beautiful thing. She, it, they're, they're done with the threshing, and she goes and she lays at his feet. Like she goes to his house or goes to where he was. Not his house, but he goes, she goes to where he was, where he was just laying down, getting rest. And she lays at his feet as if to say, I'm, I, I, I'm leaving myself at your mercy. I'm leaving myself at your mercy. And then she says, she, it's, it's like wild. She proposes to him, in es essentially. She goes, you know, you know, I want you to marry me. And so what he does is he, she goes, would you uh, put your wings over me? It's a beautiful picture of protection and love and intimacy and provision. Boaz, before this, he literally tells her, he goes, listen to me, I don't want you to go to any other field. I don't want you to go to any other field because they might harm you. And I want you to have plenty. So I want my guys to leave some behind. I want you to stay here with me. I'm going to care for you. Then she comes back, lays at his feet, says, put your wings around me. He puts his wings around her. And he says, he says man, because he's an older guy. And he's got a looker. And he's like, wow, you've been so kind to me. And believe me, I know some of you husbands, you guys have married up. You know exactly what I mean, right? Like there's no way you guys should have got the wives you, you have now, right? It's like a miracle. She goes, and all of your responses should have been, yes, I'm looking at all of you guys. And she goes, all of your responses should have been, you have been kind to me. <laughs> That's what happened. It's true. And then they get married. And then they have a baby. Now, the baby 
what's powerful about this is that the baby, whose name just slipped my mind, so I'm not going to say it, has uh, another baby whose name is Jesse. Jesse's has a son. His name is David, the greatest king Israel has ever known. And that's the story. That God would bring a savior to Israel through king who would be a good king through the pain and the suffering. You know why? Because God allows sorrowful tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. But wait, a few years later, and when I say a few years, I mean hundreds of years later, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, there's another baby that's born. David not only was born out of the line of, of Ruth, but in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, we see that Jesus, our Savior, is born from that very line. That God, and you go, why would God use a Moabite, a hated person, terrible reputation, in a horrible circumstance, why would God put her in his line? Let me tell you why God would put her in his family. For the same reason he puts losers like me and you in his family. Because there was nothing to her, nothing to us that deserved the salvation that Jesus gave her, but he gave it to her nonetheless. And there's nothing to us that would earn the salvation. So listen to me. This story that I just told you, it's not just Ruth's story. It's our story. And here's our story. Our story is that you and I have, when things went difficult in our lives, we didn't run towards God. We ran away from him. And our town wasn't called Moab. Our town was called rebellion. Our town was called alcohol. Our town was called crack. Our town was called uh, licentious living. Our town was called promiscuity. But we ran from God and ran. And then everything we thought we were going to get in this place was taken from us. The joy and the satisfaction we thought we would find was lost to us. Then we came back, maybe to a community like this, where they said, is that, is that you? Yeah, it's been a tough life. It's been a rough go of it. I, can't, I went away happy. I'm coming back sad. It was all lost. But and then, listen to me, a Savior happened to see you, put his eye on you, and say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in my field. Don't go to any other field. You've gone to other fields before, and those fields have promised, but they have not delivered. They've only given you pain and, and discomfort. What I want you to do is I want you to stay in my field, because if you stay in my field, I'll give you plenty and protection. I'll give you plenty and protection. You don't have to go anywhere else to get what you need, because what you will find in Christ is all that you need in Christ's field is everything that you need in order for you to have plenty and protection. When you go to another field to find what you need, you risk everything. Then, then, 
At, at his feet, Christ throws his wings around us and says, I will marry you. I will betroth you to myself. And the baby that we'll have is you being born again. It's a story of Christmas. It's a story of suffering. It's a story of God's amazing grace in the midst of horrible tragedy. It's your story. So, what do we do with that? Number one, if you don't know Jesus, you should come to him now. If he's beckoning you to himself, you should come to him now. If you don't know him, if you've strayed from him, if you decided that, you know what, or if you're straying from your heart, maybe you, you come to every Sunday service, but you notice in your heart that you're straying from him. I encourage you, beloved, come back to him. Come back to him. Remind, maybe you've been picking. Listen, there are some of you, there are some of you who are going to other fields. You're going to other fields. You're going to other places other than Jesus to find satisfaction. And that is not where you're going to find protection. That is not where you're going to find plenty. You need to go back to Jesus and tell him, tell him, Jesus, here's the truth about me. I've been going to these places, dipping and dabbing, moving, shaking and baking and doing my thing. And you know what, God? I don't. I need, I need to be in your field. I need to stay with you. If you don't know Jesus, you can come to him now, and you can just simply, it's this simple, just admit. It's two things and then a third thing. This is all you need for, to be a Christ follower. It's two things because they're the essential things, but then out of those two things, a third thing overflows out of it. And the first two is admit. Admit to God what he already knows about you, that there's nothing that you can give Nothing you could commend yourself to God about. That there's nothing. Listen, God, I'm not good enough for you. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a cheat. I'm whatever I am. Or worse yet, I'm a good person who relies on his own righteousness. I am literally the definition of self-righteous. Go, no, God, I need your righteousness. For just, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That's number one. Admit to God what he already knows. Number two, admit that you're a sinner. Um, uh, number one, admit that you're a sinner. Number two, believe that Jesus Christ, your Boaz, a better Boaz, that he will cover you, cover you with the sacrifice of his life, that he laid down his life, that the punishment that you and I deserve can be, listen, the punishment that you and I deserve was laid on Jesus so that we could get his joy and his righteousness. Receive Jesus into your heart and believe that he lives in you as a result, forgiving you of all of your sins, even the ones you don't want to talk about, even the ones you feel ashamed about, even the ones when I say don't want to talk about and feel ashamed about, you think about and then you quickly move away from your brain. <laughs> Beloved, come to Christ. Come to Jesus. So first, admit. Two, believe. And these two overflow into a third. This third thing, it doesn't make you saved, but it's an overflow. Commit your body to Jesus. Wherever this body goes is where Jesus wants it to go. Whatever this mouth says is what Jesus wants it to say. Whatever these hands do is what Jesus wants them to do. This is, this is Jesus' body. I want to do whatever he says, wherever he goes, whatever he says do, that's what I want to do. You can, you can.
come to Christ. If that, so if that's you, number two, if you're suffering and you've been suffering for a while, I want you to deny the lie that the Satan keeps on telling you, that the reason that you're going through this pain and suffering is because God has abandoned you. And maybe the pain and suffering that you're going through is because of your own bad decisions like Naomi. Maybe you went down to Moab. Maybe you went down to the place where you weren't supposed to go. And maybe you stayed there for years and years and decades and decades like Naomi. Beloved, beloved, you can come back to Christ. And you can be reminded that even the suffering that you're presently going through now is not God abandoning you, but in God writing a story that's so beautiful that you can't imagine. That God is allowing your suffering. That God is allowing suffer, sorrowful tragedy to set the stage in your life for surprising triumph. And then thirdly, thirdly, you could be like Naomi. That even in the midst of your pain, not, listen, your testimony doesn't have to be, I had cancer, the doctor said I can't cancer, I had three months to live, then I prayed, and now the cancer's gone, and, and, and that's my testimony. Everybody come to Jesus because your cancer will go. Maybe your story is not that. Maybe your story is I got cancer, the doctor said I have three months, I've, I, everybody prayed, and now the doctor says I have one month. And so in this month, I just want to tell as many people as I can about Jesus. You see, you can tell the testimony. You can give the story about how Jesus gives suffering grace to those who are in his field. Beloved, it's Christmas time. Share the gift of Jesus with others and rem be reminded that he has given everything that you need so that you might, in your sorrowful tragedy, be surprised with triumph. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful that you love us and that you invite us to yourself. I'm grateful, God, that you do not abandon us, that you see us from far away and that you cause us to dine with you and be satisfied at your table, that you betroth us to yourself. And that because we are married in Christ and with Christ, because he is our beautiful husband, he provides and protects and loves and, and everything that we need. So Father, I pray for my friends, my friends who are going through great suffering. I pray, oh God, that as they go through that sorrowful tragedy, that they would not forget that you can create a beautiful triumph. And so, Lord, I pray you would help us to repent of the lies that we've believed, that we would be able to internalize what you just taught us, and not just internalize, Lord, but verbalize it to others. Share that even though we go through suffering and even though it doesn't look like there's a solution for us, Jesus has been enough for me. Lord, I thank you 
for the suffering that I've gone through in my own life. And I don't see why it happened. But I'm reminded, oh Lord, that you do. And that in Christ, I can find peace as you bring triumph. We thank you for doing the, rest, the same for the rest of us. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.